Hello, I'm Daniel and welcome to Life Changes You. Thank you to everybody who started listening around the world. We've got quite a a huge amount of people now. It's almost 5,000 followers and listeners. And so I'm really glad that you're listening and you're enjoying the content that we're providing. I've had lots of really good guests on. And the next man here is no different to the other people. He is Rich Dolan, and we've had a couple of conversations in the past. I think the first one we talked about was about him and men's mental health, and then the second one I think was to do with suicide, if I remember. You have to forgive me, Rich, but after doing 125 podcasts, I forget all the people I've interviewed, and I don't forget you. I just forget the content that we talked about. So how are you, Rich? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I do forgive you, Daniel. You're obviously, you know, speaking to a lot of people on a regular basis, lots of subjects, lots of topics, but you are right. We did speak um, initially about myself and my work as a therapist. And then the second conversation was to do with mental health, uh, specifically uh, men's mental health and male suicide. So yeah, it's good to be back. And, uh, you know, great to hear of uh, all the listeners that you're uh, bringing into uh, these really interesting subjects. Oh, look, it's brilliant. Look, my my uh, aim in the beginning was to do a podcast that dealt with everyday situations with everyday people. And uh, I think I'm actually starting to feel that that's what's happening because um, people all over the world are listening. And I think uh, the other week I did one on chronic fatigue and I got so many messages about it saying, I'm glad you're Um, shining a light on this because, you know, we want to hear about chronic fatigue and how people have recovered and it's not something you hear in the mainstream media. And Mm. I guess it's not because most doctors would treat people uh, the Western way, which is give medication and hopefully they'll get better. So that was a really important one for me. And look, my mum said to me today, she said, don't you get nervous talking to all these people? And I said, mum, after 120 people, how could I be nervous anymore? You know, they're coming on to mm. talk about a subject they know. I, I'm pretty qualified in what I know. So, no, I'm not worried about anyone I speak to. No, I think, you know, that's what people kind of want. They want to hear things that they can relate to. You know, I mean, yeah, we we all uh, kind of love to listen to our favourite celebrity now and again or, um, you know, kind of watch uh, an interview, but ultimately we want to connect with something that, you know, that, that, that means something to us or that, that we can go, yeah, that's how I feel or that's what happened to me. Yeah, well, thank you, Rich, for saying that I'm a celebrity. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually have someone say to me the other week, do you know you're the most famous person I know? And I'm like, but I'm not even famous. And they go, no, 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 you are. Loads of people know you. And I went, oh, okay, great. To me, it's just I'm just doing a podcast and the Instagram and, you know, if if what I do resonates with people, that's all the better. But, uh, you know, I'm not doing it for fame and glory. I'm doing it to spread awareness for mental health and hopefully give people who don't have the opportunity to see a therapist or go to uh, the doctor or people who just don't feel like it, you know, can get some information about all different topics to do with mental health, positive psychology and inspirational people like yourself, Rich. Oh, well, uh, that's very complimentary of you. But I am, I'm, as you said, uh, I'm just like everybody else, you know. So um, it's just good to be able to contribute to what you're doing and uh, yeah, more power to you, Daniel. It's brilliant. So, look, what were we talking about today? We're going to talk about COVID-19, which is a bit of a touchy subject to some people. Mm. Um, I think most people look at COVID now and as we've got further down the track from where it started, 
more people are believing that it is a real thing. And that's a good thing because in the beginning, I think everybody sort of thought of it as a conspiracy theory. Um, and now that we've actually seen or heard about people who have had COVID, we realise that it is a real thing and it's something that we need to work to either eradicate or be able to live with, which is what you're now doing in the UK. So do you want to give me a little bit about how you're managing in the UK to live with COVID? Yeah, and I guess that is what we are doing at the moment, you know, living with it or learning to live with it. And as you say in the beginning, you know, lots and lots of different opinions on on the veracity of it. Uh, you know, we were bombarded in those early days of lockdown with all kinds of stats and numbers, and we still are, you know, graphs and figures that, you know, you can present in a certain way to fit whatever narrative you know, you're you're kind of working with. And I think people have got a, a bit tired of of the constant you know, deluge of figures and stuff. But the reality is that, you know, I think where we are now, we're out of our restrictions, you know, so there's no restrictions on things like weddings and events in terms of the hospitality industry that seems to have largely opened up again, you know, for a long time when that came back um, with some degree of restriction last year, it was based around, you know, no kind of uh, everything was sort of table service and there was, yeah. uh, you know, the social distancing was still in effect, but now that's, that's kind of gone. You're able to, you know, go to the bar and order a drink, um, which, you know, that, that, that kind of um, behavior was, was, was sort of stripped away. I think people really struggled to acclimatize to those simple things for a while, but it seems to be largely back, you know, the lifting of um, social distancing and the, the, the lack of any, sort of legal requirement to wear a mask in place although wow. what's interesting is it seems to be kind of put now onto the establishment or the you know the the proprietor of whatever business or establishment themselves to kind of choose to whether they enforce it a lot of places still do there's still you know yeah. signage that will say please you know please wear a mask and it's really interesting to sort of observe who is and who isn't so i went to our our supermarket the other night and um so many people weren't wearing masks and actually, you know, quite a few older people in there uh, I saw not wearing masks as well, who I think for a large part of it were seen as the, you know, the most vulnerable and therefore perhaps the most cautious. Yeah. And I was actually quite surprised to see how many people weren't wearing a mask, but a lot of them were younger people. And I think what we've started to see as well is, you know, hasn't quite turned into any kind of blaming yet, but I think there's a lot of stuff in the media to do with the, the reopening of the, you know, the events industry. And like, for instance, we've just had Boardmasters Festival down in Newquay, which is kind of like our sort of surf mecca yeah. of the UK. And uh, I believe as a, as a, well, whether it's as a result of that, but you, you can't ignore the connection that, that Nuki is currently our highest, our highest infection rate in the country. Wow. So what we're seeing obviously is a correlation, which makes sense between, you know, things opening up large gatherings of people and increasing infection rates, which could be said that, you know, is laying the groundwork for that kind of finger pointing at the younger generation for being irresponsible for going out and, you know, kind of um, passing the, the infection around but what i think has made a, the, the biggest difference in, in where we're at right now is vaccination obviously that's that's kind of another really contentious subject in terms of you know where you, where your views are but the reality is that the our vaccination program i think we're about 62 percent fully vaccinated has uh, has enabled a lot of this you know easing of restrictions people are still getting infected but obviously the hospitalization rates are, are lower so yeah. The, the picture is very, very different in comparison to certainly where you yourselves find 
you know, yourself at the moment. Yeah, well, we're, I understand. So yeah, we're, we're in lockdown here in Melbourne. Uh, Sydney is locked down. I think Northern Territory is locked down. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure about the other states. We don't have high numbers, but because they say the Delta strain is uh, more virulent, they've locked us down. Because, look, in Australia, I think we're at about 40%, maybe 50% of people who have had at least their first jab. But we didn't get vaccines into the country for quite a while. There was a bit of a stuff up. And then with the AstraZeneca, with people getting blood clots around the world, then they decided to change the age range for Pfizer to under 60. And then, of course, there wasn't enough Pfizer in the country because they'd only ordered a certain amount. I think it was 5, 000, uh, 5 million units, which was really 2.5 million because you have to have two shots. Mm-hmm. So they say now that we should be all vaccinated or up to 80% vaccinated by about November, December, and then they're going to open up. I really don't know what will happen after that. I mean, it, it is a case of having to live with it and see what we can do. I mean, once we open up, if there are issues, you can still do small lockdowns and I guess a lockdown suburbs instead of the whole state um, if a break comes, like you're saying, with was it Newquay? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see that because obviously no action has been taken and it's not necessarily been um, articulated that, that we've hit in, into any kind of danger zone. But I think what will be the, the litmus test for us is when the, the weather starts to change. I mean, our summer hasn't been great, uh, certainly in comparison to last year, but traditionally winter, obviously cold, wet, dark, we have you know, significant challenges each year with winter flu. Yeah. Now, last year, you didn't hear about that at all. So obviously, the way in which COVID deaths are recorded, certainly, uh, unless it's changed um, or, or my understanding is incorrect, I think the way that they were recording a COVID death was that anybody um, that dies within 28 days of a positive COVID test, it would go down as COVID. Now, right. I think, you know that could extend to, you know, <laughs> you, you lose your life in a road traffic accident. But if you're down as having a COVID positive COVID test, that's a COVID death potentially. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but also there's a lot of people that would have perhaps passed away or been affected through winter flu that didn't get recorded as such. So, you know, we always have an expectation of a certain amount of, um, you know, fatality in the winter months because of winter flu. So what we're going to see now is, is that kind of coming in as well. Obviously we've got the vaccination rate, which is increasing, uh, you know, on a kind of a weekly basis. But as the weather changes, as the kids go back to school, that'll be another thing that was previously thought to spread a lot of infection, which I think, you know, there's, there's figures now to suggest perhaps wasn't as significant as previously thought. It would be really interesting to see how that affects any decision to bring in any kind of restrictions. I, I'm not sure we're going to see a lockdown to the extent that we did before. We might see, as you just talked about, localised restrictions. But, I, I, you know, the phrase herd immunity has been thrown around an awful lot. So, you know, the more vaccinated we are, the less chance of people going into hospital as a result of that infection. Now, I've not had COVID, to my knowledge. I've had several tests over the years, I've not had it uh, over the, the months. Sorry, uh, I only know two people who've actually had it, uh, and, and not to any great effect. So my experience of it is 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 very limited in terms of you know I've been fortunate enough not to have been touched by 
the virus itself or the or the the significant health implications of it in relation to my family or friends uh, but obviously there are people out there who have yeah. so it's been difficult to make a judgment on you know how how serious it is in relation to um what what may happen uh, but at the moment people are out there living with it for the most part you know out and about shops are busy again restaurants are busy again pubs are busy again there is a certain degree of trepidation and caution there but there's also a slight undercurrent of um i don't know uh frustration i think Pe- people have in many ways almost forgotten how to how to kind of act or behave there's a yeah entitlement to uh, i'm just going to do what i want now you know uh, but weren't they doing that in england anyway i mean we used to see we used to see the um news reports of people i think it was in liverpool and the pub shut at 10 o'clock and they were all out in the street dancing and drinking and and that was why when when you had to go home at 10 (laughs) o'clock yeah the curfew thing Uh, yeah i think that that kind of did happen anyway there's there's a certain contingent of society that aren't ever going to really just kind of you know, be obedient and um, uh, and do what they're told. But I think now it's it's more about the the confusion or the lack of clarity. You know, and the messaging from the government was was chaotic throughout the throughout the whole process. You know, stay at home, don't stay at home, go to work, don't go oh, to yeah. work. You know, and and that's another thing as well as our furlough scheme has been gradually wound down. I think next month is when it actually comes to an end. So. You know, people are being kind of encouraged to go back to the office. Some employers are still very much uh, kind of, you know, insisting that people work from home. And I think that, you know, the the, the emergence of what they're now calling hybrid working, you know, it, it is a thing. And I think really what's driving that is probably the, the business critical element or the financial element as to, um, you know, what, what employers want. And there are some that are conscientious that are more invested in kind of, you know, keeping their employees safe. But, you know, the the, the kind of um, the safety measures perhaps feel like they've sank into the background a little bit. And, you know, this living with COVID mentality is sort of developing, but how that's going to affect uh, or how that's going to work when, as I say, the weather changes and traditionally we see an increase in, in, in flu and respiratory illness anyway. Uh, I, I Maybe it's me just being, you know, sort of suspicious or um, cautious. But I, th- I think we will see some increase in restrictions or increase in in impact in in you know the kind of the coming months. So it's really difficult to know. We may well find ourselves back in a situation like you're in now, Daniel. Yeah. So look, how is that for you guys? How is it affecting people over there? You know, the in and uh, the out. Look, well, it's affected everybody, and I guess no one wants to be in a lockdown. I must admit, this is the first time I've actually found it quite draining um Mm. even though i'm an essential worker so i can work during the day i'm allowed to go and see my mum because she's elderly and needs some help with her parkinson's but still you get home or you put the news on and you see what's going on and you think how are we still in this position you know i mean two years ago we would never have thought of anything like this and yet i think it's also the the lack of knowing that it's going to come to an end, like even if you have the vaccine, it's not over. And how long is it going to take until it is over? How long till we'll be able to fly overseas? I mean, we we were told last year, oh, you'll be able to fly this year. And obviously now we can't fly because we're all in lockdown again. But when will that actually happen? Will it happen next year or will it be that the year after is when we can fly out? I mean, 
there's a lot of un- unanswered questions and I re- yes. feel really badly for the people who aren't able to work in any capacity. For, for example, uh, the government pays, if you do more than 20 hours a week, they give you 750 in your pocket, $750. And that sounds okay. But if you think a lot of people would probably be earning, say, 1000 to 1500 uh, either before or after tax, well, $750 is just that little bit shy of you being able to continue your life. And if you're someone who's got a mortgage on a house, you've got a few kids, you know, you've probably stretched your budget that little bit too far anyway, and mm-hmm. now you're in a position where you're losing $250, $350 a week. How do you actually make the, the little bit you've got left pay your mortgage? And you can put your mortgage on hold and then pay it later. I don't really know how it works, but I would presume they'd still be charging you interest on if you were to be able to withhold your payments for three or six months. And there's all the other things, you know, like um, buying um, hand sanitizer, more paper towels and gloves and masks and stuff like that. So there are, even though they're not huge costs, they're extra costs to your weekly shopping budget every week because you need to have clean masks, you need to have hand sanitizer. If you've got three kids, you you have to buy three little bottles. I think they're about $4 each. So, you know, these things mount up if you're losing two or $300 a week. I have a few friends who aren't working. I have a few friends who are working. I have some friends who COVID has been a godsend to, you know, it's actually... Uh, push their business up higher. I mean, from my point of view with the podcast, I Mm. think that having people at home uh, allowed people to go online and have a look at what things were on there for podcasts. Luckily, a lot of people have hit across mine, which is to do with mental health, positive psychology. And I think that's where I've got probably quite a lot of people. And because I've seen a big um, increase in the last six weeks, I wonder if it's because in Australia specifically, Sydney and Melbourne being in lockdown, are people at home thinking, God, what can I listen to that might buck me up, make me feel a bit better about my life? Having said that, though, in last month's um, figures, I had 2,940 listens in America. And there's, well, look, they're sort of in the middle like us, aren't they? They're not in a lockdown, but they're having a lot of cases. I think COVID is one of those things that we can theorise about a lot, but yes. no one really has uh, a concrete way out of it, do they? We're, we're learning to deal with it and learning how to get out of it. Yeah. And I think the learning to live with it thing is, uh, you know, is really prescient because it, it's not whether you know, whether it goes away or not, which it's not going to do, um, the, the the kind of the imprint on the psyche, you know, of of uh, this this generation that's lived through it, you know, um, it is is going to be forever there. You know, it's a footprint. And and I um, think also with that is that um, now we've lived through it. When we do get through it, to whatever extent that is, people are still going to have in the back of their minds. Is that ever going to come back? Is there going to be a worse one than that? Is there going to be another one that's same? Because, you know, we've had mm. things like SARS and um, bird flu, swine flu. They might be SARS. I can't remember. Um, but they were sort of like, oh, they're going to be awful, and then they disappeared. But we, we've never seen something like this, and I think everybody who's been through it in the last couple of years, for quite a long time, they're still going to have it in the back of their head. What if that comes back? Yeah, and I think the reality of it is that what we have all collectively experienced is to some some degree is trauma, mm. you know, um, it, on, on, a, on a scale of which has never been 
never been seen before. So we've all been, whether we've been physically affected by it, you know, from a health perspective or not, we've all had our lives affected by it in some way. We've all been touched by it. You know, we've all had our civil liberties, you know, restricted. We've all had access to things that we take for granted, whether it's, you know, uh, kind of just sort of recreational aspects or even just our family members, you know, yeah. being able to fit. There was there was a, a, a large um, kind of portion of the time when the the inability of people to see their their parents or to you know to hug their grandparents and, and that kind of thing to have to, we've been stripped of of the basic things that that you know humans need if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs that yeah definitely you know, that 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 intimacy that belonging that sense of connection you know, for many many people that was taken away and another thing that's really um, relevant and obviously you mentioned the US there and obviously with what's happening in Afghanistan at the moment that is dominating a lot of the the, the press so when when it's not in relation to sort of personal or you know anecdotal experience uh, our perception of covid and how it is affecting our lives has been massively shaped by the media and at the moment they've got something else which uh you know is kind of filling up the airwaves and that's changing our perception of what's happening in the world around us as well yeah so you know there there is um there's several factors here i think which which kind of play into uh, the idea of living with it, you know, and and I would say from my perception and to anybody listening in the UK, I'm not saying that this is your perception as well, but to my perception, uh, it's definitely, um, I wouldn't say minimised, but the, the coverage of and the narrative has changed to such an extent that, you know, we're not waking up every day to, to you know, COVID facts and figures, you know, our lives aren't being ruined by bombardment. <laughs> It's bombard, yeah, it was bombarding. Uh, and I think that there was never going to be any attempt to or, or realistic uh, way of living with it whilst we were constantly being, you know, assaulted with with how many people were infected or dying or being admitted to hospital. And, you know, if you're to believe the figures, then we are heading in the right direction. But the thing, thing is with figures is that they can change yeah. at, at any moment, you know. So I, I don't know how much longer this is going to continue. I'd say this is as close to normality that we've been since this whole thing started and going back to the point that you made earlier that, that uh, perhaps you guys are really struggling with at the moment is that lack of clarity about when it's going to not so much end but when uh, the severity of these restrictions is going to be is going to be relaxed and I think that was something that really really um, caused a problem for a lot of people the the lack of clarity or the moving of the goalposts or shifting of dates when certain things would be certain restrictions would be eased or whatever and you know not knowing when something was going to come to an end, yeah. you, you just become completely powerless, really. And, and, and you, you know, for a large part of last year, I think we all ended up kind of just traipsing along like zombies, you know, once the, the initial novelty of all the Zoom quizzes and the kind of, you yeah. know, the, the TikTok videos and the kind of innovative ways to have fun at home, once the novelty of that had worn off, you know, it was just, in many ways, people's spirit was broken, I think. And well, Look, here, we used to do... Um, we would have a disco for people with a disability in the studio mm. and online. And the online right. part came from when we were in lockdown. And in lockdown, we had 17 people joining us every Friday night from their homes on Zoom to do a disco. That's great. And this lockdown, we're actually, both me and my business partner, are just too fatigued to stand mm. in a room on our own and dance 
for people uh, <laughs> on an online disco. And we each week we go, should we do it this week? No, I don't think so. But look, they're okay. And um, we do do an online bingo as well, and that's gone up from 12 people to 20 people a week. Um, mm-hmm. So there's the need for it. But I, I think the, the COVID fatigue is setting in with everybody now. And when I finish work at the end of the day, I'm happy to go home and just have some dinner and watch a bit of TV and tune out. Um, and the thought of having to stay back and dance for an hour or two hours, it's just too tiring because mm. I think we've all got to that point now where it's just like oh, you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, is it going to be good news? No, it's not good news again. And what I really liked was when we were out of lockdown I don't know, two months ago, was being able to go to the shops with no mask on and seeing people smiling or people saying hello to you. Whereas when you have a mask on, generally you don't even know if someone's speaking to you because you can't see their mouth move. So they might say hello, but you just don't acknowledge it. Or you're standing there ready to pay for your groceries. And whereas they usually see you smile, they can't. So it's almost like you're frightened to do anything with your eyes in case they think you're doing something weird. So you just sort of say, hello, thank you, goodbye. (laughs) So seeing people's faces really lifts everybody's mood because we're all smiling. You know, when people are serious, masks, it, it really blocks that not joy, but seeing people happy. And you'd see people who are miserable, but generally you see people who are quite happy walking along the street. And that was really good. And now all you do is see masks and you think, wow, where's the the happiness? Yeah, and the masking is really weird. So on that point, um, so last last September, my youngest daughter, she started school. Okay, it was her first year at school for a long time. You know, didn't know whether that was going to happen, obviously, because the school's closed um you know uh, very early on last year and they um they stayed closed throughout summer and started again in in september when you know they, they usually would and uh it was great because obviously i wanted my, my youngest to start school and not, not have that experience disrupted but what was really strange is that obviously there were restrictions put in place in terms of where you had to stand and you know it was very very, very kind of regimented but there were a lot of parents then that I had never met before because, you know, our children were all starting school and we had to wear masks. So um, we, you know, we were standing in line. Obviously some parents had kind of known each other. They, you know, perhaps had children around about the same time, but this was my second uh, child starting school. So I was already kind of, you know, already through that. I hadn't, hadn't um, made friends with a lot of uh, the other parents. So I was seeing these people for the first time and because we were all wearing masks, that's how we met each other. And when, um, they when with our easing of restrictions when the school then said okay parents no longer need to wear masks when dropping off their children literally overnight the masks went and what was fascinating is that all these people that I'd been standing next with for weeks on end because I was finally able to see their their full faces they all looked completely different than I I thought they did because I'd only had their you know, the, the, their eyes. And it's amazing how much the shape of somebody's nose or their lips or their chin can, can complete you yeah. know, somebody's face. And it was almost like I had to, my brain had to kind of relearn how to recognize. Yeah, people. definitely. And uh, yeah, it, it was absolutely fascinating. But the mask thing is really interesting because that's now brought in a kind of degree of shaming behavior as well. So there are people that are obviously very vigilant about it. And I've seen people be, you know, quite confrontational with others who aren't wearing masks because, yeah. you know, they are now feeling uh, whether it's a health uh, issue or not. But there's a there's a degree of confrontation that's involved and people are feeling very perhaps attacked or threatened by others' behavior. So it's brought in a really kind of... Um, I'd say in many cases, an unpleasant 
behavioral divide between people that you know um is not adding to um or rather is adding to the tension that i think is still out there there's an undercurrent of tension out there as much as restrictions have been eased people are still very wary and i think also the taboo about actually catching covid I mean, mm. you see on the news that they say, oh, and another person has gone down with COVID in such and such area. And it's almost like it's their fault, whereas it's mm. not their fault. They've caught something like they would catch the flu or a cold. Um, they haven't purposely gone out and got COVID. But you can imagine how that person who's got it and then they start saying on the news, oh, and from that person there's a cluster of five and then it's a cluster of ten. You know, how does that person feel that is carrying that weight of knowing that they were the one who got COVID and maybe they don't know where the COVID came from, you know, there must be an extra weight to it. And I think some people who may have symptoms wouldn't go and get tested because it's that taboo of, oh, my God, I might have COVID. I might be the reason that people can't work. I might be the reason that schools get shut down. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's There's like the plague in, in other culture. words. Yeah, and it brings that whole blame element to it, which is a really unhealthy, you know, thing that we do as humans is that we look for some something or someone to blame. You know, we want we want something to be accountable. Um, well, we don't want it to be way, us. We don't want it to be us, and we want we want somebody else to to be held to account or to be punished for it in some way. But another another point, just quickly to talk about what what's different over here is that we've had the app, so the test and trace app, which for yep. many months was a a source of criticism or a target of criticism, sorry, for, uh, for for its effectiveness. And it's been kind of tweaked over the months. But what, what was happening, certainly when things started to open up, is that so many people were getting pinged on the app to say that they had come into contact with somebody who had tested positive and therefore had to self-isolate. But what it did was... Um, as the restrictions were eased on the hospitality industry and people were able to go out and you know go for a meal and go for a drink, the the staff across the hospitality industry were decimated because people were getting pinged left, right, and centre. Yeah, so yeah. you you then um, had a lot of people who were getting very very you know a, a, aggressive because bookings were being cancelled or you know the wait times at a restaurant or a pub were being increased because they just didn't have the staff and people were angry because yeah. you know they waited months and months to be able to go out and do what they considered to be their unalienable right to you know to go and, and socialize and have a meal but then you know they were taking out their anger and frustration on essentially people that are working minimum wage jobs in yeah, yeah. not very great conditions. Um, and these people to, who are on minimum rate jobs who haven't yeah. worked for six months. Yeah. You know, yeah, so they're absolutely. lucky to, they're happy that they're back at work and then to cop yeah. a load of abuse just because mm. you couldn't get at your table at eight o'clock or you couldn't get in or, you know, you couldn't make yeah. a booking. It's not their fault. They've been in the same boat as you. Yeah, um, the, the, and that's definitely prevalent. And I think there's been a few articles around that recently, you know, and it's it's sad to see, you know, because there is still a lot of anger out there. You know, people people are um, people are not happy at what they've been through and what they consider to be, you know, the, the, the treatment that they've endured. And in many ways, I think, you know, that's justifiable, but it shouldn't be. We, we collectively, again, with the blaming and the shaming, we should not be treating each other like this. No. You know? We need compassion and empathy at this time, don't we? We do. Well, um, you know, at all times, but now more than ever, really, you know, and if we're going to learn to live with it, truly learn to live with it, then I think, you know, we, we need to we need to learn to to live with compassion and empathy on a daily basis and not just, you know, 
uh, in sort of some kind of weird qualifying circumstance. You know, we, we need to learn how to be nicer to each other. And if we remember when we were all locked down and we couldn't see anyone and all we thought about was I'd love to see someone, just anyone, it doesn't matter, think about mm. that time and now you're at the pub and you have to wait half an hour for your table. Remember that thought about you just wanted to have human contact because those yeah. people are doing the best they can with what they can and they know there's a lot of people wanting to come. So just be patient with them because they're in exactly the same boat as you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, we, we've we've perhaps lost a little bit of that uh, that humanity that we rediscovered during those early months, and uh, you know, we need to we need to remember that because we're not going to get through this or anything else that comes after it without you know w- without retaining that. So um, yeah, perhaps that's a good point for us to end. Uh, a nice message. Brilliant, to end on. Rich. It was so good to see you again. Touch base with you and have a good chat. Um, I'm sure the people will like the conversation. They've liked your last two. Um, maybe I should put a picture of you up and then they, all the women will come and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, Daniel, but uh, hey, it's your show. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rich. I'm sure we'll talk again at some stage soon. Um, thank you for joining me again today. No, thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate right. it. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.